Hello, and welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and in every location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I am a part of Gestalt IT, and each episode we bring you the viewpoints and perspectives of some of the luminaries in the enterprise IT space. And we have a premise, a topic that guides our podcast, but we'll get to that in just a minute. I'd like to take a moment to introduce the folks who will be joining me today before we jump into that, starting with Tim. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Tim Crawford, CIO and Strategic Advisor with Avoa. All right, Chris. Yeah, Chris Grundeman here. Uh, I run Grundeman Technology Solutions. All right, and Stephen. And I am Stephen Foskett, uh, organizer of Tech Field Day events and publisher of Gestalt IT. All right, well, thank you very much for joining us today. Let's jump into the premise of today's episode. Now, obviously, it's it's a new year. It's 2022, and it feels like it really is 2022. Um, the last 24 months have, have felt like one long March, literally the month of March times 24. And so a lot of the predictions that people have been making about the enterprise IT space kind of feel a lot like a little bit louder and a little bit worse repeated over and over again. And so the premise of today's episode, quite honestly, is that 2022 is just going to be another year of the same technology stuff that we've been seeing for the last two years. And I'm hoping that one of the guests on this episode is about ready to jump up and start yelling because they they think things are going to change. So who wants to jump in and and refute that premise or agree with me? So I'll jump in and, and say that I think there's a little bit of truth in that, in that we're still trying to figure out how best to implement some of these technologies that have been around for a few years. But I think we're we're finally realizing that there's a bit of normality to the reality of what we're dealing with, uh, whether that's remote work, whether that is how our customers engage with us, uh, the technologies that we use, how we think about data centers and infrastructure, how we think about applications and development, data and artificial intelligence. All of that is starting to, to gel, which is giving people a moment of comfort in being able to use some of these technologies or, or new processes that otherwise they might've thought, well, I'm, I'm going to kind of let the dust settle a little bit first before I figure out what I do. Yeah. I think we need to really pay attention to that. That Tim talked about kind of in the very beginning of what he said there, which is that we've finally, I think maybe as uh, as an economy realized that this remote work thing isn't going away. Uh, obviously a lot of us in the IT world, I think saw this coming for, many, many years, and it took a global pandemic to really jumpstart it. And I think there was a lot of folks, especially in, in, in the business side of the house, that thought this was all going to roll back. And what, we've, what we're learning, I think, is that it's not. And, and regardless of the pandemic, I think the genie's out of the bottle. And so we're really dealing with those realities. And, and I think that's a big part of what's going to drive the way we operate our technology over the next 12 and, and beyond months uh, is really understanding that we're going to be doing this in distributed teams, and you're not necessarily going to be in the data center pulling the cables, uh, it's going to need to be more automated and more virtual. And that really leads us to the technology implication of it, because essentially, if we have a remote distributed workforce, I mean, that, that's accelerating what we've been thinking about, what people like Tim have been telling us is coming for a long, long, long time. And yet here it is. Um, we're here. Uh, and, and so I think we have to rethink a lot of the things that, that have come before uh, technologically speaking, I mean, obviously business operationally and sales and marketing, all that sort of stuff too, but technologically speaking, we have to rethink it and we have to say, wait a second, uh, 
what does this mean for a distributed workforce? How do we secure this? How do we provide uh, access? How do we you know, share and collaborate? All those things that we've been working on for a long time, suddenly they, they got real. Uh, and now we have to figure out how to do them. I think for me, the, the biggest challenge is that we all got thrown in that pot. I think everybody was, was, was cooking this soup for a long time and thinking, yeah, yeah, that's going to be some good soup when we have this distributed workforce and collaboration and all this kind of stuff. And then suddenly everybody just got shoved in. And unfortunately, what that means is that, you know, we've got the good as well as the bad that we now have to deal with of, well, here we are. Yeah, I'm not sure I would refer to the current situation as good soup, but I get your point. <laughs> I think there, you know, there are three uh, thematic areas that we have to look at. You have to kind of open the aperture a little bit. And Stephen, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've been talking about this for for some time, but I think those three pieces that then govern the rest of how we think about technology are number one, our customers how our customers and their behaviors are changing, how they engage with our companies. Number two is employees. You know, thinking about who the staff are, where they are, how they work, how we lead them, how they engage, how they collaborate. Um, just the, the way we work has changed. And so customer behavior changes and employee changes, which are inextricably linked together are really important. But then I think the third piece that comes into that uh, that provides some guidance is the data. And so when you start to think about the data, you, you cannot forget about whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's systemic risk, you know, think about regulatory privacy, um, compliance requirements, depending on the industry you're in. I mean, pretty much every industry today has some requirement that they must adhere to. It's no longer the domain of just healthcare and financial services. But if you look at those three themes, then you start to understand, okay, so wherever I am, whether I'm uh, a cable jockey and, and working in the data center, whether I'm an application developer, um, a data scientist, you start to really kind of understand where your place is and how things might be changing for you. Yeah, and talking about the data and the way employees and, and even and customers interact with it, it brings to mind to me one thing that I see as a trend that I think is definitely going to continue and, and hopefully accelerate in 2022, which is what I've been calling the idea of, of multiple panes of glass. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, for a long time, we've been kind of force fed from vendors, this idea that a single pane of glass is what we wanted and that we needed this single system or this single observation plane to, to monitor our, all of our IT assets in the, the entire estate. And I think what we're seeing is just as you said, Tim, there's more and more data and there's more and more specialized, unique roles looking at that data. And so I think what we're going to see more and more is a single source of truth, right? We're going to want to collect that data, especially around IT assets and cybersecurity and, and all of that into a single place. But then we want to slice it and dice it for the specific roles where a CTO is going to want to see something very different than a developer who's going to want to see something very different than a director of IT who's going to want to see something different than a network um, engineer or, or you know, a data storage engineer. Uh, and I think that's where we're kind of going to head and, and, and see that kind of spread where, again, the single source of truth and then the multiple views and dashboards uh, per role. Yeah. And, you know, Chris, you bring up a really good point about that single uh, pane of glass. And let me maybe take a page out of Tom's book for a minute um, and be a little provocative and say that I think there's a real question around whether we even need the single pane of glass and what shows up on that single pane of glass. 
you know, the, the whole concept behind the single pane of glass was to provide a single view of whether it's your infrastructure or data or business processes and kind of how things are progressing. And as we go forward, we don't want a human to necessarily have to interpret a lot of that. And so we have to start looking at ways to introduce automation and automation into some of the decision-making capability to the point that, okay, so if you see a certain condition start to pop up, instead of waiting for a human to observe it and then make a decision as to what to do about it, we'll just automate it and have it immediately resolved, have it immediately addressed. Now, that's not the case for everything in every, every condition and every scenario, but I think there, there really needs to be that heart-to-heart conversation, regardless of, of whether you're in infrastructure or, or application development or data management or line of business as to how much of this do we really need a human to kind of keep eyes on moving forward. And I know that's going to be really provocative for some, some organizations and some groups that might go, okay, well, that's kind of my job. So then what do I do? Um, but in reality, that is what we have to have a conversation around. It reminds me a lot uh, architecturally, you know, of what we've, what's happened with applications in the internet world, you know, scalable hyperscaler applications. Um, you know, what you're describing really sounds almost like what Kubernetes is doing for infrastructure. In, in other words, we need to specify things, we need to implement orchestration and automation around those things so that we don't have to have someone uh, trying to grab hold of it. We can let it sprawl, we can let it get big, but yet we've got an understanding of, uh, of, of, of how, that, how that goes. It's, it's documented, it's automated, it's orchestrated so that the thing can get bigger than the data center. It really is uh, like a hyperscale organization as much as it is uh, hyperscale infrastructure. So maybe the question then becomes, because you guys have hit on a lot of, of themes that are, are definitely going to be prevalent in 2022, but specifically to the point that Tim just brought up about this idea of doing away with a single pane of glass, going more to this model that Chris has talked about where you have these views. One of the things that we've seen as we've decentralized office work is that we are effectively making people more responsible for accomplishing their tasks. In essence, we're trusting them to get their work done. We don't have that single visibility across all sections. Is that going to lead to a, a rise in more effective collaboration apps or collaboration environments? Because one of the other things that we're starting to see happen in the first couple months here in 2022 is this idea that our old methods for in-person collaboration are still not quite ready to come back to the forefront. When we did the, you know, January to February of 2021, we were very uncertain about when we could possibly even consider going back to in-person. Well, as 2021 kind of got to the end, everyone's like excited, like, hey, we're going to go back to doing in-person conferences or doing in-person sales kickoffs or having big shows like CES. And, and one of the things we found is that whether or not the situation will allow that to happen. People are getting just as much out of these virtual launch events or by breaking these things down into smaller uh, organizational units and, and passing that information around. So are we going to see these big monolithic structures that we've been relying on, to Stephen's point, kind of like these old architectures, 
being kind of supplanted by effectively something more like microservices? So I don't know about the very last part of the question there, uh, to be honest, Tom, but, but I think you're touching on something that's very important and actually maybe strays a little bit away from technology. Uh, I know that as we've talked about things like, like cloud computing and, and DevOps and, and Kubernetes, um, and, and even you know the convergence of network and security. There's been so many talks about kind of breaking down silos, and and that you know a lot of these things are cultural problems and human problems, even more than they are technology problems. And I think you're touching on another one, which is collaboration. So I don't know that there's going to be you know a be all end all collaboration tool that comes out and really changes the game. But I do see uh, a drastic shift from face to face meetings to Zoom meetings to asynchronous communication. Uh, and especially as we distribute further and further into more and more time zones and across the globe, I think that things like that just become required where you really have to allow someone time to read and digest and then talk back to you in text form. And so I think those asynchronous communications are gonna change the face of how we work uh, to some degree. Yeah, I'd like to say that I do not believe that just transliterating a big physical event into the virtual space is gonna work. In fact, we've seen that it totally doesn't work. You can't just have virtual expo booths and virtual keynotes and virtual audience and expect that it's just going to work. What we need is a real transformation in the way that you're describing, Tom, of uh, you know almost this microservices idea of, of let's try to have something that is really compelling to the audience. Let's try to have something that's really collaborative, that really meets the audience where they are, and importantly, when they are. Because of course, uh, what we've learned as well during the pandemic is that people are not all in the same place. And you can't just expect that everybody can tune in at 9 a.m. Pacific time, because some of those people are in Australia. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's, there's a whole cultural shift in terms of how we work that, that we're still trying to figure out. Um, and I think this is in some weird way, it's kind of like what we see around politics in the U.S. Um, in, the, in the sense that there are people at other ends of the spectrum, some of which believe that we can stay completely virtual, some of which believe that we need to be in the office to be able to work effectively. And then you have a whole bunch of people in the middle. And so we have to figure that out. And these other things, whether it's trade shows or conferences or just the way we collaborate amongst teams, or take take up meetings. Um, that's another thing we're going to have to think about. You know, am I more apt or less apt to get on a plane and fly to New York, fly across the country to to have a lunch meeting with someone? I'm probably not going to do that today. Whereas pre-pandemic, I might have done that, and actually, I did do that. But you know, those are the kinds of things where we're starting to rethink how can we be most effective. But let me taper that a little bit by saying that there are some leadership teams that are starting to realize that they thought they were very effective in being able to do decision-making virtually. And they're starting to realize that they really weren't as effective as they thought they were. And so when they got together and worked through different issues and collaborated to a decision, they started to realize that the in-person has an incredible amount of value. Now, I think you you have to separate that to some degree from conferences in different ways that the business models have been created around selling products and services and, and getting that information out. Because I think there are other dynamics that come into play with those that 
have been to a large degree kind of ignored for a long time. And the fact that it's forced some of these companies to go virtual is kind of bringing it to the forefront and they have to figure out ways to operate. But I would, tr I would try and separate those two um, to provide clarity in the conversation. And I think that's fair because there's, there's the aspect of getting people together to do things. And then there's the aspect of getting them somewhere to tell them something or to sell them something. And so I, then the, the natural outgrowth of that, as we kind of change the way we do things is what technology can we develop that allows us to build on that? And I will caveat that statement by saying one thing I don't think will help that, which is VR. And I can say that because everyone is talking about VR right now. You would think that 2022 is going to be the year of the metaverse or the online experience or the matrix or whatever it is. And I just want to throw something out there to get your, your thoughts on this for, you know, the projection of 2022. I don't think that VR can in any way replace any of the interactions we have. In fact, I believe VR would make them worse. Yeah, I'm with you. I, d I don't think that is the use case or the best use case for VR. And I do agree with you. I think it'll, it'll make things more challenging because it's one more thing we have to figure out how to make work. And what I've experienced, and I'm sure many of you have experienced over, over the past 24 months is you really want to find the lowest hurdle to get over. So whether it, so just take video conferencing and collaboration tools as an example, you know, everyone knows how to use Zoom. You can turn to your kids. They know how to use Zoom. But if you ask them to use another product, maybe not WebEx, but, you know, pick a, a third or fourth or fifth or sixth product in the mix, and then you're asking the person or team that you're working with to try and figure out how to get that installed on their system and, and make sure that the microphone and speaker and whatnot are working, that's just one more hurdle. VR is, is not going to bring more value than the pain to get it set up. And so I don't, I don't see the, that that's necessarily a good use case for replacement here. There may be some, some specific use cases for augmented reality. And I think we do need to start thinking about kind of the metaverse and, and how that comes to play. I mean, frankly, every time I think about that, maybe I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but I start thinking about Second Life, right? And start thinking now, of course, a lot of people are going, what the hell is Second Life? Let, let me go Google that. But I think there is something to be said about starting to understand what that might look like, how Web 3.0 might play out in the future. But is that a 2022 thing? I don't think so. I think we're still a little further upstream. But I do want to say one thing that you mentioned, Tom, and kind of maybe underscore it. You made the statement where you said, you know, what do we need to build in order to do this? And I would argue that I don't think we need to build anything. I think we need to learn how to use what we already have more effectively. And there's a big difference between that because in the past, we have tried to innovate and build new and build more. There's a lot of innovation and technology already out there that's incredibly mature that we are just not taking advantage of from serverless to video conferencing to collaboration tools. And I think we would be best served to try and figure out how to use some of that more effectively. 
especially if we can use that in a way that helps us kind of uh, connect out of this. One of the things that always kills me when I hear people talking about VR, uh, frankly, I'm much more interested in AR because I feel like uh, once we are face-to-face, it would be very, very helpful if there were more digital guides for our life, digital guides that can help us do things. Mm -hmm. And, And frankly, that stuff is already coming to us on our phones. You know, you go out, you're out somewhere and you're, where can, where can we eat? What's open right now? You know, all that kind of stuff. What are you going to do? You're going to look on your phone. You're going to find an app and the app is going to tell you which restaurants are open, which ones are not, which ones have seating, which ones, you know, are crowded even. And I think that more and more, that's going to become the kind of technology that's going to help us. And you may not think that getting, I don't know, an alert on your wrist or on your phone or in your glasses saying, oh, this, this area is really busy right now. Maybe you should go to a different restaurant is a AR, but it is. And we already have that technology to Tim's point. We already have built this. We just have to use it. And, and again and again with technology, it seems like um, you know people will find a use case and sometimes it's not the sexiest and the coolest and the slickest use case. Sometimes it's not second life or you know meta and goggles and everything. Sometimes it's something as uh, prosaic as you know where can I find this or where should I go next? And and I think that that's a, a good use of technology too. Yeah, and I think you're you're right to kind of riff on that and and, and weave those two ideas together. I, I think that um, you know I, I think I, t- I think and talk a lot about this idea of trickle down technology. And I think that um, there is a large portion of the world and even of the United States. Um, that is still quite a bit behind other parts, right? And what I mean is, you know, we've talked about digital transformation for, what, almost a decade now, maybe? Uh, and, and I think that there are still a lot of companies, especially if you look at kind of the mid-tier or the professional services firms, right? There's a lot of legal offices, a lot of doctor's offices, a lot of accounting firms um, that haven't quite gotten there as far as digital transformation. And, and what I mean in this context by digital transformation is that interaction with customers in exactly the ways that, that Tim and, and Steven are talking about, right? Which is, you know, making this as easy as possible um, so that I have this, you know, Apple-like, Microsoft-like, Google-like experience with every company that I interact with. Uh, and maybe even across, you know, other people that I interact with, not just companies. Uh, so there's a long way to go for, to Tim's point, existing technology to kind of fill those gaps and kind of smooth things out. Um, whether or not that's considered the, the metaverse or not, you know, we'll, we'll leave that debate somewhere else. But again, I don't think you need virtual reality to have a metaverse. However, when it does come to virtual reality, I, I think we'd be well poised. I think Second Life is a good example, but I think, you know, video gaming in general, those are the folks that, that really understand kind of how this works and what this looks like. I remember, I think it may have been at a field day event, someone was joking about the fact that, you know, well, what is, um, you know, um, and I forget the name of the game now, but, you know, we're talking about a video game and they're kind of trying to describe that. And they said, well, you know, it's, it's basically a Zoom call, but with, with guns. Uh, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's worth remembering how, um, how, how video games are kind of transforming into a more normalized way of communicating uh, for, for the rest of the world. Well, and, and maybe I'll put a, a cherry on top of this. I love gadgets. I love tinkering with new gadgets and trying new things specifically to figure out how they fit into the enterprise. You know, gaming's not my thing, but in the closet behind me, I have a brand new Oculus Quest 2 setup that's still in the wrapper. I got it last fall. I haven't even cracked the the wrapper on it because I don't know how I would how I would use it, what application I'd use it for, and how it would benefit me. 
kind of to Tom's earlier point. So I think we have a ways to go. Well, we talked about one technology that we don't think is going to be a big deal, but there are a lot of other technologies that are really important that people may want to keep an eye on. And I know that each of you has your own unique perspective on what you think is going to be a big technology in 2022. So this is our lightning round. What's one technology, one specific technology that the people out there maybe should be very aware of in the next 12 months? Well, Tom, I'm going to surprise you with this answer because you're the networking nerd and I'm supposed to be the storage guy. But let me tell you, SD-WAN, this is the thing. So there's a technology out there, software-defined WAN. The idea is that you have basically a disaggregated distributed network with a controller and it's basically directed kind of an overlay that's directed, directs traffic wherever it needs to go across the, the internet, the entire internet. And I am actually really excited about the direction that this is taking right now for distributed companies and for companies working with employees. And the idea of of basically providing secure connectivity anywhere through any connection, no matter where you are, no matter how you're connected, no matter how good or bad the connection is, giving you that connectivity with the people you need to collaborate with, the people you need to work with. And if I was in the enterprise, I would think that this sort of next generation global SD-WAN would be the thing that I would be keeping an eye on. I think that's very fair. And as someone who's done a lot of work with SD-WAN, I would say you are spot on. I'm very interested to see how it evolves. Tim, what's a technology that everybody should be keeping an eye on? So I'm going to go broader and suggest artificial intelligence. But that in itself is more of a a broad area as opposed to a specific technology. The specific area that that I'm very interested in is how it's being used to analyze data in your particular industry. And so if you look at automotive, for example, I mean, there were some announcements in the last uh, day or so, uh, and I've seen some of this development over the last couple of years, but being able to integrate data for different systems into the car and the digital cockpit is just really fascinating. So for example, the driver, it senses that the driver is starting to fall asleep. So great, it adjusts your seat, rolls down the window, turns up the radio automatically. Um, you know, that plus maybe lane divergence, you know, it starts to look at these different sensors and, and make some sense of it. Um, you can see this in healthcare settings too, and bringing some of this data together in automation. It's not a specific product. There are a lot of startups that are really trying to innovate in this space and bring this data together to provide value. But those are the areas that I think will have the biggest impact in the enterprise in 2022. Chris, what do you think? Well, uh, the problem with going third is that all the great ideas are already taken, but, um, but, but I will say that I think um, one of the big things, and maybe this is still on the kind of inflection point ramp, uh, but Internet of Things, right, and, and putting sensors and, and actuators on everything and, and making that IP enabled so that you can collect the data and respond in real time with machine learning. I think is, is already having huge impacts and will continue to grow in not just the manufacturing space, uh, but also things like energy, transportation. Uh, there's a lot of areas where uh, being able to put a really cheap and really long lasting sensor 
onto something and then track it throughout its life cycle uh, gets really, really interesting. And I think we're just starting to crack that can to understand what the implications really are when you have that kind of data at your fingertips all the time. All right. And for my part, I will actually throw you guys a really weird curveball. I think you should be paying attention to backup and disaster recovery over the next 12 months, which may be the oldest technology on the planet. But the reason why you need to be paying attention to it is because I believe it's about to be consumed by the security department, because we're going to see a lot of companies that are focused on business continuity becoming an aspect of the security arm of the business. We've already started to see that happen in late 2021, and I think it's going to continue into 2022 as more people start to realize that getting your data back from things that blow it up is not a function of the storage system or the cloud or the server department. It's your security people. And so I'm kind of curious to see how that goes. And if you're curious to see how these things evolve over time, make sure that you are a subscriber to the On-Premise IT Roundtable. We publish a new podcast every other week. Uh, we have some very interesting premises that we love to debate, and uh, we love to get interaction from our audience. Remember that you can always find the most recent episode of this podcast on our website at gestaltit.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe in your favorite podcast application of choice. You can also find us in iTunes. No matter where you consume us, please make sure that you leave a like, uh, leave a comment and a review because that helps people understand what we're all about and that we are actually using the word premise correctly in this setting and that we uh, we have some interesting things that we'd like to talk about. Speaking of which, we will have more great premises for you in the coming year. And if you have a topic that you'd like to hear us discuss on the podcast, you can always tweet at us. We're at Gestalt IT or at On Premise IT. We will be very happy to debate the premise that you have for us. For myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for our great guests and for our wonderful community, thank you very much for tuning in today. And we will be back with another episode soon.